Thank you all for being here. I heard Anthony say a little while ago that uh, those of you that are visiting, thank you so much for coming. We are honored that you come and spend some time with us, and, and uh, we pray that uh, God will really bless you. We're in a place in Scripture that um, oftentimes is kind of uh, pushed aside. Uh, we're in the ninth and the 10th and the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. Would you please turn to Romans chapter 9 with me, please? And what is being done here is Paul is, is trying to reach to the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, who have heard the message of chapters 1 through 8 and have kind of pushed it aside. Um, those that have, uh, have kind of resisted against the very essence of, of faith, feeling that their heritage, their their background, the very essence of who they are through the nation of Israel is sufficient enough to bring them into the very kingdom of God. And so Paul is saying that, no, that is not true. You need to understand what does Scripture teach. Now, to read chapters 9, 10, and 11, you can see immediately that Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel. And some, as I've said to you, some teachers of the Word of God have, have pushed this aside. I, I don't understand that. I think that you and I ought to tackle all places in Scripture, whether it's difficult for us to understand or not. We should try to understand what is the Word of God saying to us. But I don't think you have to think too far out of the box to see that this section of Scripture is going to apply to all of us who have come to trust in Christ by faith and also all and every one of you who are considering of coming to Christ, but have put it off for whatever reason. Uh, something ab about uh, this whole idea of Christianity uh, is, is not setting well with you yet. Um, there is not a, a sense that you feel like you understand enough or know enough to embrace this uh, faith in Christ and Him alone. And honestly, I understand that. I, I know I'm older and old, older. How did I get that er out of there? I know I'm old, uh, but I, I, can still I can still remember when I came to Christ. I still remember the, the wrestling match that I had in the whole process of thinking through, should I become a believer? Do I want to become a believer? My true hang-up in coming to Christ was the whole idea of, would I be able to live up to the standard that I thought was necessary to be a Christian? Well, I found out in the process of living that life that no, none of us really live up to the standard, but we are to strive to try to be all that God wants us to be. And so it was by the grace of God that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ way back in March the 12th of 1973. And it was and is to this day the, the finest moment in my life, uh, the best decision I've ever made. But it's not been a, just, a, a, just a, a bed of, of you know, roses. It's been a lot of thorns in there as well. As, um, as any of us will find out, living the life as a believer in Jesus Christ has its difficulties as well as its triumphs. It has its... It's hard times as well as the blessings that go with it. And that is what Paul wants to teach to those of Israel, but also to all of us who come to Christ 
in, in our considering that, that wonderful, wonderful privilege. The problem that, that Paul faces, though, as we look at chapter 9, it concerns the faith and salvation of the Jews. And it is this. They have come to the conclusion that the very fact of their birth, being of the nation of Israel, this alone guarantees them all of the promises of God's kingdom. Well, it doesn't take long to see or to to try to study about religion at all, whether you be a Jew or a Gentile. To understand religious people is it's 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 a it's a, a fine art, if you would, to just look and see what they're like because so many feel they have to be good enough to come to Christ. Or they have to do enough good things to be accepted by the Lord. Or we have to be born into the, the, the correct faith, whether it be a, a Catholic or a Jew or a Mormon or a, or a Muslim. Or you have to be born into the correct country. You know, I used to think I was born in the United States of America. I wasn't Jewish, so I must be a Christian. Uh, and I didn't understand what faith meant. And what Paul is teaching here is the whole idea of biblical faith. He has reasoned to the Jewish mindset that God had promised to bless Israel. This is true. But what Paul taught in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and if you're just kind of joining us now, we went through these chapters, and basically what, what Paul taught is that it was faith and faith alone in Christ that, is, that brings a person salvation. It has nothing to do with denomination you are. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are or how many things you do. It has everything to do with faith. Faith in Christ alone. And he is saying that one's heritage, your traditions are meaningless for your salvation without faith. Because salvation, Paul taught, had always come through faith. And so, he starts off by saying in verse 6, these words, It is not as though the word of God has failed. He is trying to reach those that are, are feeling that, that God has failed them in one way or another. Read with me, please. Verses 6 through 8, and we will look at verses 9 through 13 at the end of this message. But I want us to concentrate on those three verses right now. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Read them with me, please. Chapter 9, Paul writes, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. He goes on to say, For they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. What Paul is saying is pretty evident to the Jewish mindset, to the one who would study the Old Testament. The children of the flesh were the children that were born through Abraham, but not through Sarah. 
You see, long ago, God came to Abraham when he was an older, older gentleman. He was in his 90s, near 100. And Sarah, his wife, was, close, was over 90 years old. And he said to Abraham, through Sarah, you will have a child. You will have a son, and you will call him Isaac. Sarah overheard the Lord saying that to Abraham, and she laughed. She laughed over the whole idea. Here's this guy close to 100. I'm over 90, and he says we're going to have a child. And that is the child of promise from God, Isaac. And so, with that in mind, Paul is setting the case for the, the Jewish mindset and for all of us who, who think religiously or denominationally instead of relationships. Relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what this church is all about. Your and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Is He or is He not our Lord and our Savior? And that doesn't come collectively. I can't say, okay, you all have it. Way to go. No, it is a decision that each of us must individually make consciously on our own to have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the Jewish mindset. And that's what this is all about. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now, let's pray, because we just read the Word of God, and I want the Lord to, to take this message and make it all that He wants it to be in your heart. And so, Father, I pray for that. I pray desperately, Father, that You would move me aside, that You would not allow me to stand in the way of what You want to say to each person here. There's no way, Father, I cannot reach everybody. I'm not that good of a communicator. Nobody really is except for You. And so, Father, we trust in you to make sense of these places, this place in Scripture. I pray that you would open our eyes, as it says in the book of Psalms, 119th chapter, that you would open our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, your word. Move me aside so that this might be accomplished. And, Father, I pray your blessings upon every person here. May they clearly hear what you have to say to their heart of hearts. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Because Judaism in the day of Paul, but you know, to, to say in the day of Paul really is a misnomer. It really is even today. Because they are so deeply steeped in legalistic works and righteousness that is gained through rabbinical traditions and not just the Jewish tradition but but other denominations there are if you if you talk to any kind of religious people they all will say oh yes there needs to be faith but faith plus something else faith but i've got to go on a mission journey or faith and i've got to do these certain things or i, I faith but i've got to live up to these types of of requirements within the church. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches clearly that your salvation, my salvation, comes through faith and faith in Christ alone. Everything and anything else that we do after that is just a, 
an expression of our love for the Lord. My serving the Lord, you're serving the Lord. This young man that, that did the video, his serving the Lord is just an expression. It ought to be, and I'm sure he's being taught this. This is an expression of his love for Jesus Christ. That is why you and I serve him. I've used this example over and over again. I got married on September the, the 12th. 14th. Because I came to Christ on the 12th. I, came, I, I accepted Jesus. I became married on September the 14th in 1973. And I'm as married as a man is going to be. I'm going to be married 40 years come this September. And I couldn't be any more married, and I couldn't be any more happy. I loved my wife. As a matter of fact, I love Kay more today than I did when I married her. And I, lo I loved her a lot. Um, but I love her more today. And the reason that I do things for Kay, and I do, I try to do things for my wife, is not so that I'll become more married. I'm as married as I'm going to get. I do it for her because I love her. It's just an expression of my love. Same reason I serve the Lord. Same reason you ought to serve the Lord. It should be just an expression of how much we love Him. Not so that we'll be more saved. You and I are saved as we're going to be the moment you come to Christ. But another thing that got in the way of the Jewish mindset was the plan that God now offered to the Gentiles, everyone, they now all could come to Christ by faith. And all of a sudden, there became a structure within the New Testament that was called the church. And the church was a mystery unbeknownst to those in the Old Testament. Paul says as much. I want you to see this because it's very interesting. Would you turn with me, please, to the right? You'll go past First and Second Corinthians... You'll come to Galatians and then Ephesians chapter 3. And stay in Ephesians because we're going to go from Ephesians chapter 3 to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul devotes chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans to clarify Israel's place within our present church age. The cross-reference is Ephesians, which Paul wrote explaining to the church at Ephesus the mystery called the church, which had not yet been revealed until the day of Pentecost. Listen to Paul as he writes these words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul writes, When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? Now listen. Listen to verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 in which other generations, in other words, that means in olden times, in the Old Testament times, in those other generations, it, meaning the church, was not made known to the sons of men. In other words, to Israel, as it has now been revealed. How? Through his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This speaks... The holy apostles and prophets speak of where and how God now speaks to us within his framework called the church. It is through the church 
that God first had apostles and prophets come to the church and say, thus saith the Lord. The reason back in the New Testament days, just when the church was formulating, when the New Testament was beginning, there were apostles and prophets. There are no longer in the church the office or the 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 office, I guess, is the best way of putting it, of an apostle or a prophet. An apostle and a prophet faded away when the New Testament became complete. The reason the apostles and the prophets came to the church and said, Thus saith the Lord, it was the apostles and the prophets who could instantaneously and immediately and every time perform a miracle to verify what they were saying was from the Lord. Otherwise, anybody could have come in and said, Thus saith the Lord. But God had it through the apostles, through the prophets, that they would come in, perform a miracle, lay hands on someone, do a miracle, and say, Thus saith the Lord. That was the very essence of the beginning of the church. They laid down, the apostles did, the prophets did, they laid down the foundation that you and I stand on today. And it should never be changed. Not what they have preached should not be changed. But now today we have evangelists, pastors, teachers. So let me go back to verse 5. Read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5 with me again in which other generations, in other words, Old Testament times, it, meaning the church, was not made known to the sons of men, to Israel, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, verse 6. In other words, here is the mystery of Christ that Paul was speaking about in verse 4. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. The body being what we have here, the church, the body of Christ. The Gentiles now have moved in with the Jewish people and have now formulated what is called the church. And the Gentiles, along with the nation of Israel, are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ. The promise of Christ meant that salvation came through faith, through the gospel. In other words, what we preach ought to lead a person to come into a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in their lives. This started through the apostles and the prophets. It was passed along to the evangelists and now pastor teachers to teach the church. Let me show you how I understand and believe and know that. Turn with me to the next page, Ephesians chapter 4. Let me talk about the structure, the structure of the church. The structure of the church should never change. Activities within a church, that can be as, as various, it can be, have myriads of varieties. But the structure, structure ought to always stay the same within the, within the framework of a church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it, it talks about God's structure. It says, God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. And for what reason? Here it is, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. 
Why do we equip the saints? For the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's why, in my opinion, whoever made the decision to allow Nolan Dearborn, a 13-year-old young boy, to do a video was brilliant. It doesn't matter how it syncs up. It doesn't matter how it fits. What matters is we gave, they gave, I had no part in it, they gave that young man a chance to exercise his, his gift, his talent, so as to be used within the body of Christ. And I've sat and watched it three times, and I'm amazed how he sung, synced up the music with the, when she was doing her arm. It fit. That, I, I could have still be there trying to figure that one out. He did that. And who knows, but in some years from now, when he's in his 20s and 30s and he becomes some great film artist or something, that he will be a part of a church and train, train some other 13-year-old boy how to do what he's done. Or how do you know that you, who have the gift of whatever it is that God has gifted you, cannot use that gift here in the body? And some years from now, as you become more proficient in what you're doing, train up others to do what you're doing. That's what I'm trying to do. I, 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 know how many, I know how many years approximately I have left unless the Lord gives me a, a shot of juice or, or, you know, oh yeah, steroids. That's not good to talk about in baseball. <laughs> I'd be performance-enhancing preaching. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to train up young men to follow after in my footsteps. And, 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 and as you can testify to the, the fact of David Briggs and Rob Selig, that we have so many wonderfully talented people who can really preach and teach the Word of God. And we should be doing that. We should be, as it says in verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of service so as to build up the body of Christ. And for how long? Well, forever, until the Lord comes back. Look at verse 13, until... We obtain, we all obtain, to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to become a mature person, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, God counts your and my growth, your and my maturity in Christ, our stature, our unity as a body of believers, as of utmost importance. That's why a church is, is critical within the family of God. That's why I pray for all churches. Look, at, uh, there's a church going to be built over here across the street from us. And some go, ooh, they think, oh, there's going to be a church. I say, yeah, great, great. More people can come to Christ. It's a great, that's a praise of the Lord. That's not a bad thing. Let's have a church on every corner. And let's pray that they all become filled and that they all preach and teach the Word of God so that people become saved. It's, it's a... Our faith is not something that we grab and hold on to. It's, it's something that we give out so that we all become to the fullness of Christ. Now, I believe Paul, back to Romans chapter 9, I believe that Paul was clear to explain to the, the Jewish nation that their blessings were many. I mean, we taught last week what he said in verses 4 and 5, monumental. 
he reminded them that they are Israelites. In other words, you are Jews, he says, and to you belongs the adoption as sons, which, by the way, now comes to us as Gentiles as well. The glory, they have the very glory in the presence of God when they were in the wilderness. They have the covenants, the giving of the law, temple service where they were able to go and make sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. To them was given the promises. What we're going to talk about today, the promise of Sarah's birth of a, a, a boy named Isaac. Also in verse 5, they, they are the fathers. In other words, they have the, the, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came from the line of Israel. And also, more importantly than, than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came the Christ, according to the flesh. In other words, the, the Messiah came through the Jewish lines. And then Paul added to that, actually, before he said verses 4 and 5, he said to them, if I could, if I could, he says, I would be accursed. I would be separated from Christ for your sake. He emphasized how greatly he loved these people. I mean, you've got to love Paul. Paul is truly worthy to be a hero. Just a great, great man of God. So the question was, back to the issue of Romans 9, is the Jews were questioning God's promises to them. And they were, therefore, questioning the validity of Jesus Christ. They were reasoning, does this rejection of God over Israel, which Paul is trying to teach them, it's not a rejection. It's not. It's just adding on more people, in this case Gentiles. They were questioning God's promise to them. And they were saying, doesn't this rejection of God over Israel constitute a violation of His promises to us? Does that not sacrifice his integrity? Foolish as that might sound, they were reasoning, this is why we reject Jesus Christ as Messiah. They felt that the logic that they had was justified. They reasoned if Christ was the Messiah, then would he have died on the cross? They, they completely reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins, as we just read a while ago, in verse 6, and he says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. It's not failed, you guys. I'm sure that Paul was referring back to verses 4 and 5, and, and I'm sure that they, he re reminded them of Jeremiah chapter 32, 42, or many other places, but in Jeremiah 32, 42 is so clear. It said, God assured Israel these words, and they knew this, they knew this. God spoke, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, Israel. So, God says, I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. You see, God's dealing with Israel was perfectly consistent, as it is with you and me, with His promises of trials and blessings one of the things that troubles me most about television evangelists and some, not all, but some radio preachers, 
they keep telling you over and over again, with enough faith, you're going to be successful. With enough faith, you will have whatever job you desire, you'll be rich. That's a lie. That's a that's a blatant lie. I don't know how guys can stand in front of a, a screen or a, a microphone and say such lies. That's not true. The Bible never promised you that, that everything would be a bed of roses for you as you come to Christ. And that needs to be taught. Because when, when something comes your way, it won't, it won't knock your, your pins out from under you and think that you must be a wretched human being. No, you're just going through what... All of us go through. If you think not, I'm going to prove this to you in a moment. All chastening, all punishment are elements of God's divine love and is ultimately for your and my good. Think not? I'm going to take you to a place in Scripture that is not taught often. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews is to the right. If you have your Bibles, turn to the last book in the Bible. That's the book of Revelation. Now turn to the left. You'll go past Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, James, and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read to you some very difficult places within the Word of God that you and I need to understand so that we understand that what you might be going through is not difficult. Now I mentioned this in the first service and I promised myself upstairs I'm not going to do that again. Well, here I go. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I just for full disclosure, I'm going through, it took everything I had to get any rest last night at all. It took everything I had to get here this morning. I, I'm, I'm going through some deep waters. You don't need to know what it is, and I won't tell you what it is. But it's tough. And it's almost at a place where you say, you know God, enough, enough, enough. But I... It's a, thanks, I need that amen. But it's, it's, it's not a, a coincidence that I'm studying out of Hebrews chapter 12 this, this past week, which I thought was for you. It wasn't. It was for me. You can listen in though. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as children. Sons, it says, but... I want to incorporate men and women in this. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. Look at verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every child whom He receives. Ow! Wait a minute. But think about it. Those of us who are parents, do we not understand that principle? I mean, who of us as parents do not discipline our children? Not so, that, that we can, not so that we can discipline them, but so that perhaps they would catch what we're trying to teach them and they would grow. They would become the man, the woman that God really wanted them to be. All of us have done that. All of us who are any kind of parents at all try to discipline our children so as to help them along this path of life. Is God any different? Well, no, the writer of Hebrews says not. Look, he says in verse 7, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as children. For what child is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, verse 8 is tough. But if you are without discipline, of which 
all of us have become partakers. But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not, not sons or daughters of His. Wow. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They, talking about our earthly parents, discipline us for a short time as seems best for them. But God, He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. You see what He's doing when He allows you and me to go through difficulties? He wants us to become more and more conformed into the image of His Son. And we can go about it one of two ways. We can go about it kicking and screaming and just being angry, or we can say, God, what is it that you want to teach me? I'm not comfortable in this, but what is it that you want to teach me? What is it that I need to learn so that I can become sharing in your holiness? Now listen to verse 11 and hang on. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. In my Bible, I have written there a big amen. I mean, that's duh. Yeah, I get that. All discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful. It is sorrowful. It's tough. Yet, yet, those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I might add, that means the discipline yields the fruit of God's righteousness. He is trying to conform you and me into the image of Christ, and He will use discipline to do it. And don't listen to those doggone preachers who tell you, with enough faith, you don't have to go through difficulties. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. The Bible says we all go through it. And not to go through it is we would be illegitimate children. No, you and I will go through difficulties. Now I want to think about that. I, I've got to preach that. I've got to tell you that because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be your friend. I wouldn't, when I tell you I love you, I'd be lying to you if I told you I love you at the end of this service and, 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 and hide from you the truth of God's Word. We need to understand these things. This is what Paul is trying to tell Israel. You've got to go through difficulties so that you can get the blessings. Let's go back now to Romans chapter 9. And I told you I was going to take on um, verses 9 through 13. What Paul does now is he explains how their unbelief does not discredit God's word that's why he says, it's not as though the Word of God has failed. It is doing what it's purposed to do. And so what Paul does is he uses familiar Hebrew saints of old to make his point. And he uses Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and also Ishmael, who was born of Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. Watch. I'll read verses 6, 7, 8 through verse 13 again, please. Let me do that. It's not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel. 
nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. In other words, that's Ishmael who was born of, of, of Hagar. He's not a descendant. He's not, he's not a, a child of the promise. The child of the promise came through Sarah. Watch. But, now, they are not all, verse 7, they are not all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son, namely Isaac. Not only this, but there is Rebekah. She will conceive twins, Jacob and Esau. They come through Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. I'm going to study this next week with you, because this cannot be touched on just a few minutes. We must talk about verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Because it says, it was said to Sarah, your older son is going to serve your younger son. In other words, God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now, how do you explain that in a few minutes? How do you even understand that before Jacob and Esau were even born, that God had predicted what was going to take place? The issue, as you and I will see next week, is God is God. And you and I aren't. And He knows all things. But that's not the point. The point was, the child of promise came through Sarah, nobody else. Now, being in the line of Isaac, who later became, uh, and, and through Jacob, that did not make anyone a, a child of God. I don't think I'm I, I, a child of promise. I don't think I did the, any justice by what I just said. In other words, all physical Israelites are not necessarily heirs of the promise. There is Sarah who had a handmaid named Hagar. She gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael was not the child of promise. But she, Ishmael was born through Abraham. But then there's Sarah. Sarah who was promised by God that she would have a child beyond her child-rearing years, and she gave birth to Isaac through her husband, Abraham. By the way, Abraham, that son of a gun, he was all over the place. It says in Genesis chapter 17, Sarah, this was predicted by God at the time, Sarah, your wife, talking to Abraham, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. And I will, listen to this, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. In other words, you and I are incorporated into that covenant. We are a part of this promise of God that we would come to believe and trust by faith and have everlasting life, just like the nation of Israel. By the way, after Sarah died in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, Abraham had six other sons by a woman named Keturah, that guy. But just like Ishmael, none of those boys were an heir of the promise either. I want you to see how faith has everything to do with your assurance of your salvation. 
In all of this, you see the sovereignty and the control of God over our lives, which ought to make you feel so assured of your faith. Isaac is an excellent illustration of a true, true child of God because long before he was conceived, he was divinely chosen as an heir of promise. But his faith in God is what made certain that he was a true child of God. Listen, Paul is making a very strong point here. And his point is, it can be applied to you as a Gentile and to those who are of, of, of Israel. It, it, it applies to everyone, all mankind, all religions, all faith, all nations. The rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Jews were doing at that time, Paul is reasoning with them. That does not prove that Jesus is not the Messiah. Do you understand? That they rejected Jesus as the Messiah did not mean he wasn't the Messiah. His words, his life, his death, his resurrection already proves irrefutably that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, God of very God. No, a person rejecting Jesus Christ doesn't prove that Jesus is not the Messiah. It only proves that that person who rejects Jesus Christ is not a believer. Make sense? It's very important. You can close your Bibles right now. I want you to listen to me. I still have three minutes. Please let me tell you this story. I don't know that it's true. In fact, I'm not even sure it's true. But it was a great a great fable, if you would, about salvation. It had to do with what I just said. Just because someone says, Jesus Christ is not for me, and that I do not trust in Him, I'll find another way, doesn't mean that you can find another way. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and what? Nobody, nobody comes to the Father but through me. He didn't stutter. He didn't stutter at all. He was saying as clearly as he knew how, trust in me. And that's what Paul is teaching. So the fable I want to tell you about is there's this old gentleman that worked at this wonderful museum in, let's say it's in France, because I guess that's where all great works of arts are. I don't know. I'm out of my league right here. But there's all these works of art. They're all over the walls. And, and all of a sudden, this one gentleman, older gentleman, comes in, and he's, he's very boisterous. He's very loud. And he is saying, boy, that's a, that's a piece of junk. If I ever saw a piece of junk, that, who would want to hang that in their home? And he's painting to all these masterpieces. And he goes from one to the other, loudly saying, that's a piece of junk. That's a piece of junk. I could do that. Now, this old gentleman who had worked at this art museum for most of his adult life had it up to here. He loved those works of art. He would dust them, take care of them, make sure that nothing, nothing would get near them. He loved them. He finally had it up to here and he walked to that elderly gentleman and he said, Sir, as loudly as he was telling everybody, he says, you're diminishing or attempting to diminish these works of art. Do not make them any, le le any less a masterpiece than what they've always been for years. These are masterpieces. The only thing you have done for these past 15 minutes is prove to everybody here that you know nothing about art. 
That's kind of, that's kind of the whole idea of faith. For those of us, I, I, I'm not us, but I, I was at one time, who rejected Jesus Christ. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was about 35. A lot later in life. And I was very fearful to come to Christ because I didn't like what I saw from most Christians. They were kind of wimps, you know? And I wanted to be tough. And I thought if I became a Christian, that I was taking upon myself a crutch. I didn't want a crutch in my life. I wanted to make my own way through it. That's how foolish I was in those days. Anyways, um, on March the 12th, 1973, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I fell to my knees in my hotel room in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. I was as sincere of asking Him into my heart as I've ever been anything in my life. And I asked Him to forgive me of my sin, and I asked Him to make me the type of man He wanted me to be. And then I got scared to death, and I said to myself, now you did it. Now you did it. You'll never be able to live up with what you just prayed. The truth of that matter is, that's the truth. I have never really lived up to the man of God that I wanted to be. I was comforted some years ago when I studied through Dr. J. Vernon McGee's commentary. In one of his commentaries, he wrote very clearly, I've never been the husband that I wanted to be. I've never been the father that I wanted to be. So I've never been the pastor that I wanted to be. I've never been the man of God that I wanted to be. But he did say, by the grace of God, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That's me in a nutshell. That's what I want from you. I make no bones about it. I want you to come to Christ. I make no bones about it. Once you come to Christ, I want you to believe and trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation. And then I want you to use your spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ, to be like Nolan Dearborn, to be someone that can do something that's maybe challenging, but can build up the body of Christ and to help us to become all that God wants us to be. You see, within the family of God, we need one another. We just need one another. So when I tell you I love you, I do. Honest to goodness, with all my heart, before the Lord God Almighty, I love you with all my heart. And I thank you for being a part of us, church. And I pray, <laughs> thanks for that smile, man. That means more than me, you know. Um, I pray that we really catch what God is trying to throw our way as believers. So that's it. That's why this is neglected this place in Scripture, and yet now I, I would hope you would say with me, why? That's really a lot of good stuff. Next week will be tough stuff. You won't want to miss it. You just won't, because it, it speaks to the very sovereignty of God, and how do we fit into that picture? And I, I, I believe we'll try to teach that as clearly as possible. Um, I want you to know, I'll tell you next week, but I'll tell you now, I don't have all the answers. I don't. Um, I'm still trying to learn all of that. But I'll teach you everything I do know. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this place. 
thank you so much for these people. I love them with all my heart. Father, I don't know how to say it anymore. And I pray that you'll bless us as we go from here. And I thank you for blessing this church. I thank you for the visitors that have come and those that are, are, uh, are fresh here and new and, 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 and are excited about being a part of this family. And for those of us who have been here for so long, uh, thank you, Father, for those who have faithfully served you in this body of believers for these many years. Would you bless us all, Father, as we go from here? Would you watch over our families, our loved ones? Um, care for each one, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I do love you more than you'll ever know. God bless you. Have a great day. I'll see you next week.